0: Today, I want to talk about this idea of looking for joy. Everybody say joy. Looking for joy. Specifically, I want to talk about looking for joy when life is challenging. Looking for joy when life is challenging. And I think there's no denying, there's no doubt that life has been challenging. It was challenging before four months ago, but I think we can all admit that in the last four months, life has been challenging, and I know that for a lot of you, over this time, you've dealt uh, with maybe sickness, or someone around you being sick, or losing a job, or uncertainty, or depression, or fear, and just so many different things that, honestly, for a lot of us, probably caught us off guard. We didn't necessarily see it coming this way, and so life definitely has been troubling. It has been challenging, and so when I Say that we're gonna talk about looking for joy when life is challenging, it can sound a little bit silly, honestly. Maybe you're thinking, oh, I've heard this before, like you're gonna kind of talk mind over matter. You're gonna get me to not focus on my problems. You know, you're gonna get me to kind of forget about that and focus on this so that I won't think about, you know, it's mind over matter, it's focus, but that's not what we're gonna talk about because that's not what the Bible teaches us. And so as you think about maybe being sick or being unemployed or being depressed or being afraid or being anxious, I think all of us want to know, how can I find joy? How can I be looking for joy uh, in something like that, feeling and experiencing something like that? And so that's what we're going to talk about. And to do that, we're going to read a few verses from a New Testament book of the Bible called James and we're not able to uh, have Bibles in your hands because of some COVID regulations. So if you have a phone or maybe you brought a Bible with you, you can use that. If not, we'll have it on the screen for you. But we're going to be reading at the very beginning just a few verses from James. And something that's interesting about James, there's a lot of James. It was a very popular name back then, James. And, but almost all scholars believe that the author of the book James was the brother of Jesus. The brother of Jesus, so they grew up together, same house, probably the same room. Uh, They grew up together, but here's something interesting: is that James was not a Christian until after Jesus was crucified and resurrected. Which kind of makes sense, because like if your older brother was like I'm God, it would be hard possibly to put your faith in that, right? And so James was not a follower; he was not a believer. Uh, in Jesus as the Messiah until after Jesus was resurrected and and um, and ascended back to heaven. But he spent the rest of his life, after putting his faith in Jesus, he spent the rest of his life being a leader in the church. And one of his letters that he wrote made it into the Bible. That is the book of James. That's what we're going to be reading uh, some of. And at the very beginning of this letter, in the second verse, is, is a verse maybe you are familiar with, James says, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. And I think this is one of those Bible verses we read and we're like, huh? What? How? How is that possible? How in the world do we do that? That When we face trouble, we find a way to make it an opportunity for joy. How do we do that? Well, that's what we're going to figure out today. But before we get into that, can we just pray together? God, I pray that your word and your words today would be life-changing. That any attempts that I make subconsciously to share my opinion or my views, but not your opinion and your views, God, that the Holy Spirit would uh, help us all to ho- ignore those and focus on what you're saying through your word. I pray that the Holy Spirit would plant your word deep into our heart and we wouldn't just take in information, God, but we would take in the words of God and the Holy Spirit would use them to grow something in our lives that only your word can do. In Jesus name we pray. Everybody said amen. When troubles of any kind Troubles of all kind come your way. Consider it an opportunity for great joy. This is a huge statement. This has so many implications. This is a, a massive statement that James, James makes. And, and again, just to we know this, that we can all agree that we have in the last, you know, just in 2020, I guess, we have faced all kinds of trouble, all kinds of trouble. So it'd be fair if James was teaching us today, if he was teaching us on this, he could say, you know, everything that you have faced, thought, felt in this year even, but especially the last four months, you can consider it an opportunity for great joy to which we say how, and he would tell us, and we're, we're going to find that out for ourselves. We're going to read several more verses around that second verse to find the answer. So if you still have your Bible, your phone out, uh, look at the very first verse. We're going to go back up one. It's the very beginning of the letter that James wrote. And this is what it says. It says, this letter that we're reading is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is, again, a a cool phrase because it's his brother. He says, I am writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad, greetings Why is this verse important? Well, it's important because it lets us know who James is writing to. And just so you know, as you read the New Testament, as you read these letters in the New Testament, almost every letter in the New Testament starts out like this. And sometimes maybe we can rush past it because it's not as important or we don't feel like it's important. But it's very important because who someone is writing to, the intended audience that someone is writing to, really kind of provides the context you need to figure out what it is that... They're trying to say the intent of what they're trying to say. So, James tells us here that he is writing to Jewish believers, Jewish believers. Why is that important? Because Jewish believers, they go all the way back to the Old Testament. Their family tree goes all the way back to Abraham. That's what he means by 12 tribes. If you know anything about the Old Testament, Father Abraham, God made a promise to him and then his sons, and eventually there were 12 sons, and then uh, they became the 12 tribes, and that was the Jewish people. And so this covers you know the whole Old Testament really is about these people. And these are the Jewish People. But they're not just Jewish people. They are Jewish believers. They are people that trace their, their family tree all the way back. But in the last 20, 30, 40 years, since Jesus, they have put their faith in Jesus. And so James is writing to people who are incredibly religious. These are not people that came out of nowhere, have no context for God, have no concept of rules and uh, r- routines and rituals. They, they are very religious people. They memorized books of the Bible before middle school. They, they knew all about the procedures and the sacrifices. They They knew all about this. They kept a schedule and they went to the temple and they had times that they prayed. And James would know all about this because this is how James was raised. James was a Jewish believer. James knew that that, that the kinds of stories that they were told when they went to bed, that he knew what, you know, family dinner was like around the table. He, He knew what it was like to have to go with mom and dad to the temple and to smell the sacrifices of the animals. He knew all about this. And every letter in the New Testament is not written to Jewish believers. There are letters written by other people to, you know, some in Rome and some in Asia. But this letter is is to people whose faith is in Jesus but have a long history of religious practice and religious behavior. Why is that important? Why are we taking time to talk about that? The reason it's important is because James writes a letter knowing this about the people, knowing their religious affiliation. And James knows, because James is them, James knows that when you put your faith in Christ, it is a life-changing experience. But we also know that everything you bring with you before your life-changing experience with Jesus Christ affects that relationship with Jesus Christ. For example, I, you know, I share stories about my life as I preach. And a lot of you know that, you know, I grew up in a, my dad was a pastor. My granddad was a pastor and his dad was a pastor. My brother's a pastor. I grew up in church. My mom went into labor playing the piano in church. I mean, it's just, it's all, it's through and through. It's all, you know. And, and so, and I, and I share stories about my grandmother and her prayer life and all these. And when I do that so often, some of you guys will, will say like, man, I wish I had that. I didn't my family didn't grow up in church. They, we didn't have that. You know, I, I'm the first Christian in my family. And I just wish that, you know, my parents had done that. Or I want my kids to have that. And I get what you mean because there's so many blessings in a spiritual heritage. So I, I'm not putting that down. It's amazing. I, I get it. But if I'm being honest with you, like I'm kind of jealous of you. Because sometimes. Having a religious upbringing is a challenge to having a relationship with Jesus Christ. You're like, well, how could that be? Well, it can be a challenge because you know how to act Christian before you ever experience Jesus. And yes, you have a faith in Christ. And yes, your heart has become new and your soul has wings. And, and yeah, but you also knew how to act like that was true before that was actually true. And so sometimes it's hard to remember that it's your faith in Christ that makes you right with God and not all the other stuff that you learned to do before you met Jesus. And if you had no upbringing like that, if you had no experience like that, you don't really have that challenge. Like all you got's Jesus, you know? But when I go home for Thanksgiving, I've got to act like really spiritual, right? Whether I'm feeling it or not. But when you go home for Thanksgiving, like, you know, it's your choice. Right? But I got to practice my prayer for the meal. Like, that's just what it is. And so it's, it's really easy. And so James is writing to these people who know what it feels like to have a faith in Jesus, but also knows what it feels like to be able to act Christian and act spiritual and not even need Jesus. Because they did it their whole life and their parents did it and their parents did it and their parents did it and their parents did it. And so he wrote the book of James. If you've ever read the book of James, you know that it it stands out among the other letters because it's got an intensity to it. It's very action oriented. James is all about action. And all throughout the book of James, he's like, you ain't saved. Like that's guy, he talks like that's not what he says. I'm kind of paraphrasing a little bit, but he's like, you ain't saved. And because he says like, I'm paraphrasing five chapters of the Bible in one sentence, but in essence, he writes this book and he says, oh, so you say you're a Christian? Well, prove it. Because I know the games. I grew up like that. I wasn't even a Christian and my brother was Jesus. So I, I know how to act saved. So you, oh, you're a Christian? Prove it. Don't tell me you have faith if you don't have deeds. Don't tell me you love Jesus and you got no action. Now, he wasn't writing that letter to somebody who got saved last week. He was writing that letter to people who were professional Christians and who had to keep their faith in Jesus and not in themselves. So if that's true when it is that he's writing a letter to people who know how to be lifelong Christians and put their faith in themselves, but really wanting to put their faith in Jesus Christ, if that's who he's writing to and he's writing a book about proving that what you have is a genuine faith in Christ, I think it's incredibly profound that the first topic he chooses to talk about is attitude. He says, you know what? I want to write a book to lifelong religious people so that they can make sure that their faith is in Jesus Christ. And the first thing I want to talk about is attitude. I think that's fitting. And specifically, he says, I want to talk about an attitude of joy. Now, as you think about a lot of the Christians you know over the last four months, is joy one of the words that kind of pops to the top of the list for you how many people you would wherever you're watching a part of this service like how many people you would say i know christians with really bad attitudes let me see your hand anybody you'd say that how many people would say i am a christian who struggles with a bad attitude anybody you would say yeah 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 and so James is writing this letter and he says, okay, we're gonna, this is like put up or shut up time. And so, if, if, so, you, so you're telling me your faith is in Jesus? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. All right, let's talk attitude. Let's talk attitude and specifically let's talk joy. Because if your faith is in Jesus, you are gonna deal with trouble and you're gonna feel about trouble completely different than people who don't have a faith in Jesus. And one of the ways James is saying to them, but he's saying it to us, one of the ways you can know is if your faith is truly in Jesus or your faith is in some religious system is when you face trouble, are you able to find, are you able to find joy? So let's keep reading. We, we reference verse two. He says, I'm writing to the Jewish believers. He says, dear brothers and sisters, we're in this together. We're following Jesus together. When troubles of any kind, I think that's, that's important because there's different kinds of trouble. Right, right. There's lots of different kinds of trouble. The first three that popped in my head are there's trouble that's my fault. Like, I got nobody else to blame. I did it. It's my fault. There's trouble that's your fault. Like, you did something that caused trouble for me. But really, most trouble is Adam and Eve's fault. You know, they broke the world, and so, like, basements leak. You know what I mean? Car trouble happens. People get sick. So there's all different kinds of trouble, but James is not saying when you face trouble, that's not your fault. He's saying, no, any, if you face any kind of trouble, trouble of any kind, consider it an opportunity for great joy. If you are reading on something that gives you an opportunity to mark, I just think that word consider is so important. We're gonna talk about that. And love you to mark that. Consider it an opportunity for great joy. James says, it doesn't matter what kind of trouble you face, whether it's your fault, somebody else's fault, just a fallen world's fault. When trouble comes to you, when when trouble of any kind is happening in your life, comma, consider. Comma, consider. James is saying that when trouble happens to you, when trouble, when you encounter trouble, you have the... Option before you react to consider. Well, consider just means to think, like really think about, seriously consider, or think about. Um, you know, before you make a choice, that's what consider means, right? And so James says, when trouble comes to you, when you face trouble in your life, you can you can comma and seriously think about the decision. That you want to make. That's what he said. And, 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 so, and so he says first two things. Number one, consider it. The first thing you should seriously think about and consider when you face trouble is that it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity. We're talking about people whose faith is in Jesus. If your faith is in Jesus, you have the option to consider trouble an opportunity and then the second thing is he says not just any opportunity, but you have the ability to consider trouble an opportunity for great joy. You, you can choose, you can think, you can identify trouble as an opportunity for great joy. Now, here's the challenge. Trouble doesn't show up wearing a sign that says opportunity for great joy. It shows up as headaches, frustrations, pain, hurt, betrayal, unemployment envelopes with, with brown paper in them, right? Don't, it doesn't show up. LG&E doesn't say, hey, we're about to shut off your power, but this is an opportunity for great joy. The mechanic doesn't say, you're going to have to rebuild the transmission, but it's an opportunity for great joy. Your spouse doesn't say, I'm leaving you, but don't you be upset. Opportunity for great joy. No, it doesn't show up with a sign on it. It's only an opportunity for great joy if you consider it an opportunity for great joy. It's powerful. And it means that the the opposite is also true. That if you face trouble and you consider it a conspiracy theory out to kill your freedoms, that's what you'll get from it. If you consider it unfair, that's how you'll respond to it. If you consider someone hurting you, like they're hurting you on purpose, then that's how you respond to it. But when trouble comes to you, you are not automated with a response. You get to comma, consider. And it is possible for you to consider trouble an opportunity for great joy. So so we're we're only two verses into this letter and James is like, listen, lifelong religious people, if you're telling me your faith is in Jesus now, when you face trouble, it's different. It's different because Jesus gives you the opportunity to see joy when other people see trouble. How could he say that? He wouldn't just pray if he was here talking to us. He wouldn't just pray and say, okay, that's it. Just see it as an opportunity. But he actually tells us, if we keep reading in verse three, he says, consider trouble an opportunity for joy. And he's going to tell us how we can do that, which is going to be helpful. He says, for you know, he's assuming we know. What do we know? He says, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing Nothing. So, for the time we have left, uh, James tells us right here, just in these two verses, he tells us he, he gives us three reasons. It's it's right there in the list. We'll look at them together. But he gives us three reasons why we should consider trouble an opportunity for great joy. In the verses we just read, let me give them to you. Number one, trouble is an opportunity for joy because your faith is tested. Faith is tested. That's what that's what he said. He said, "You know that when your faith's tested, trouble tests faith." Now, the purpose of a test is to reveal whether or not you know what you're supposed to know. That's why you take a test. I was a terrible test taker in school. uh, But the main reason is because I was not prepared for the test. And so I would say I wasn't a good test taker. I would say, I swear, mom, they didn't cover that material, you know. But the reality was I was never prepared for the test, so I never really passed the test that, that much, right? And so tests are meant to reveal whether or not we know what we're supposed to know. And so when we face trouble in life, we find out if we learned last time what we were supposed to learn when we faced trouble last time. And mainly, spiritually speaking, when we face trouble, we really find out if we trust God more or if we trust and if we trust ourselves less. Because the last time we faced trouble, we were supposed to learn that we need to trust God more and trust ourselves less. But this time, as we go through trouble, our faith is tested. We get to figure out the results of the test will let us know if we learned what we needed to learn. But James is talking about more than just passing a test. He's talking about uh, about, um, what you believe will be tested when you face trouble. He, he, he's talking about, you know, what your trust is in will be tested. Your theology, your enthusiasm, your submission to authority. It is all tested when you go through, through trouble. If you have never faced trouble or never been disappointed with God, if you never felt like God was being unfair, you don't really know if you have a faith in God. Because it hasn't been tested yet. You don't know if you know what you're supposed to know because you haven't been tested yet. Nobody wants to be tested. nobody wants to face trouble, but James says, the first reason that you should comma consider trouble, an opportunity for great joy, is because you're going to get to find out what you know. Because your faith is going to get tested, But the second thing he says is trouble is an opportunity for joy, because endurance is developed. Endurance is developed. This is going to come to a shock to a lot of you guys, but I don't, I'm, I don't do a lot of fitness training, and uh, I'm not a trainer, and uh, I, I do like to run a little bit, and, and I wish I knew another way to develop endurance, but I don't know of any other way. If there is, please let me know, because I would like to try that way. The only way that I know to develop endurance is to push your body to the maximum limit. And every time you keep pushing, I'm talking physically here, every time you keep pushing yourself to the limit, you are growing your endurance. And the same is true spiritually, right? Spiritually speaking, every time trouble takes us to the maximum of what we think we can stand, what we think we can trust, what we think we can endure, our endurance grows and is developed. I do like to run, and uh, most mornings, I will I will run from the front door of my house to the front door of Shiloh's, the coffee shop in Shepherdsville that our church owns. Uh, it's exactly two miles, so I have this four-mile track that I will run, and uh, most mornings I do that, and I enjoy it. Uh, I don't enjoy it. I enjoy having done it. Uh, I don't enjoy doing it, and even though I run a lot, and I have done this many, many times on this particular course or this track, every single time that I run, I am the most Convincing person to myself that I could cut it short because there's a left turn when you pass Shiloh's, there's a left turn that cuts a mile and a half off the run. Wow. And every single time I'm like, man, don't beat yourself up. Nobody needs a hero here. I mean, you're doing great. You've been running all week and you didn't eat bad yesterday. And, you know, what's two and a half versus four? Like, don't be religious about it. It's just activity, you know? I mean, I'm just, I am just so convincing and. I never want to go farther. I never want to go faster. But can I tell you something? I have never regretted getting done and going farther and going faster. I've never regretted doing it. I've had the opportunity uh, to, to write some books in my life. And, and I, 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 it's really hard uh, to, to write a book, start to finish. And, and I'm not saying that I love writing books, but I love having written books And you could do this as well. Like you could think through your life and you say, I don't necessarily love birthing a child, but I love having a child. You know what I mean? I don't love getting out of debt, but I love being out of debt. And all of these examples are things where you are testing and stretching and what you're doing is you're developing endurance. And what's great about endurance, spiritually speaking, is you look back on your life and you think about things 10 years ago that you thought, I won't make it. I can't do it. I'm never gonna get through it. I'm never gonna survive. God, if you don't help me, I'm just not gonna make it. And you think back about those troubles 10 years ago and you're like, that that was so cute, thinking that was a big deal. Because now... What you can handle now is so much greater. And it's not that it got easier, you just got stronger. You stretched yourself, your faith was stretched, your faith was tested, and now endurance has been developed. When you face trouble, your prayer life grows. You learn how to pray longer when you're in trouble. Your trust in God grows, your compassion for others grows. And this is one of the reasons that trouble is an opportunity for great joy, because your face tested, endurance is developed. But then the third thing that James says, the third reason trouble is an opportunity for joy is because contentment is created. It's right there in verses three and four that we read. He doesn't use the word contentment, but he says you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. This idea of needing nothing, he's he's talking about commitment. And this is tricky because honestly, it's possible, it's possible. To, to come to Jesus to, for him to help you get what you want. And, and it's, not that you, it's not that you really want Jesus as much as, you know, you tried fitness, you tried a relationship, you tried a career, you tried money. None of those things work, so now you're going to try Jesus. But Jesus is just the vehicle trying to get you to what you want. Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's children, maybe it's courage. Maybe it's friends. And if we're not careful, sometimes Jesus is just the new method to try to attain what we've been always been trying to attain. And listen to me, listen to me. Coming to Jesus does give you a family of people to belong to. And coming to Jesus does give you more courage than fear. It does make your life better your in life so <laughs> many ways. But not in the way that the world says it will make your life better. Because with Jesus, when you come to Jesus, Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to keep giving, 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 giving so that you'll be happy. Jesus says, I'm going to keep stripping and stripping and stripping and stripping and stripping in a way. And then if you'll let me keep working, you will have what you want. You just didn't realize that's what you wanted. And and in a way, he's talking about contentment. When when we go through something in life that keeps us from getting what we want, we either find out what we need, or or we we, we find out that, that 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 Jesus is more important than whatever it is we didn't get or or what we lost. So James says if you if you comma consider that your faith is gonna be tested and endurance is gonna be developed and that contentment's gonna be created, then it's possible for you to see how trouble could be an opportunity for great joy. But what does culture say to us about trouble? Culture says, if you're constantly having trouble in your life, it's either gotta be that you're weak or it's gotta be that you're a victim, right? That's what culture would tell us. Culture says, oh, you're constantly in trouble, you must have a weak, Weak mindset, right? You you have the life that you're willing to accept because you won't rise above it. You need a growth mindset. Sign up for a course, read a book, join a group. Your life stinks because you just accept it. And of course, there is some small amount of truth in that, but that's not what the gospel says. The gospel doesn't the gospel doesn't say that you accept it because you have a weak mindset. The gospel says you need a savior. Because you can't overcome the evil that's in your heart that is constantly trying to sabotage your life. You keep saying, I don't know why I keep doing this. I don't know why I keep falling back in trouble. The world says it's because you need to to, to improve. The gospel says it's because you need a savior. You can't save yourself. Listen, nothing wrong with a book, but you need a savior. Nothing wrong with a coach, but you need a savior. Nothing wrong with a growth mindset, but you need a savior. Nothing wrong with a course wrong with a community to belong to but you need a savior It says, okay well maybe culture says well maybe it's not that you're weak maybe it's that you're a victim you know what it's it, that's what it is It's that life stinks because someone else permanently held you back it's not your fault you don't need to feel bad about that because it's not your fault honestly life's not fair you just need to accept your place in life unfortunately what happened to you will define you there's nothing you can really do about it. You're just gonna constantly be in trouble because you're a victim. But what does the gospel say? The gospel doesn't say that you have to be defined by what someone did to you. The gospel says that the pain and the problems in your life are the very things that God wants to use to develop a faith in you that could not be developed any other way. The gospel says God takes your pain. He makes some purpose out of it and he uses it in your life. The gospel says that his power is made strong in our weakness and that he's close to the brokenhearted. The gospel doesn't show up and say, well, you know what? Trouble is just trouble because, because you're, you're a victim. The gospel says you are more than a conqueror, but not because you had a good mindset, but because you put your faith in a savior and the power and the spirit of God lives in you. Trouble gives us a chance to know God unlike anything else could do. So what do we do? You're like, okay, I'm, I'm going to consider uh, you know, trouble an opportunity for great joy. So do I pray for trouble? Is that what I'm going to start doing? Okay, God, just send more trouble. Do I pray for suffering? No, that's not what we do. But James does tell us what we should pray for. I don't know if you still have your Bible out, but it's in verse five. He walks us through why we can consider trouble an opportunity for joy. And then he says, if you happen to be thinking, that sounds almost nearly impossible. Yeah, so in verse five, he says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. James says, it's going to take some supernatural discernment and wisdom for you to look into the face of a trouble, suffering situation and see how God's hand could be bringing something joyful out of that. And you're not going to be able to figure that out on your own. This isn't some kind of fortune cookie theology where you just say something that makes you feel better. You need the supernatural wisdom of God. And if you ask him, he'll help you. He'll tell you, he'll give it to you. So our prayer is, God, give me wisdom to see what you're doing in me. God, give me the wisdom to see how you're growing me. God, give me the wisdom to see how you're stretching me and the wisdom to see how you're teaching me. God, don't let my mentality be to just get out of trouble. Help my mentality to be to get something out of trouble. I want to see joy. God, give me spiritual eyes. God, help me to look for joy when everyone else is looking for sympathy. Help me to look for joy when everyone else is looking for pity. Help me to look for joy when everyone else is looking for someone to blame. I have Jesus in my life. So trouble can be an opportunity for great joy. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you sent Jesus to be an example to us. That suffering is an opportunity for great joy. Because of Jesus' suffering on the cross, we get to experience the greatest joy we could ever experience. Jesus had to come and he had to suffer because there was no way for me to know you. There was no way for us to get to you. There was no way for us to have a relationship with you. We couldn't do enough rituals. We couldn't make enough sacrifices. We couldn't behave well enough. God, only Jesus gave us and gives us a way to have a relationship with you. We need a savior and you sent him to us. So God, thank you for Jesus. And God, I pray you would give us wisdom to see what's happening beneath the surface of our life when it's hard and challenging and troubling. And I pray, God, that you would help us to stop before we react and to consider that what we are facing is an opportunity for you to do something in our lives that you could not do any other way.